The reading this morning is from Luke chapter 16 and can be found on page 1050 in the Church Bible. It's the parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will, you trust, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued amongst men is detestable in God's sight. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm sure that as we've read that, you were like me the first time I read it and thought, what on earth is this about? So we're going to have some fun this morning as we look uh, through this together. I just want to start off by saying uh, thank you for your generosity. Uh, the sermon series title is Generous. And uh, a few weeks ago, I invited Ruth and Nathan, um, who are up. There's Nathan. I saw Ruth earlier as well. Maybe she's downstairs for young people. They they're going off to South America uh, later in the spring, and um, I invited them up here and asked, would you not only get behind them in prayer, but get behind them in helping them raise the funds they needed to go? And uh, thank you so much, because they've managed to raise what they need to be able to go to South America. So that's fantastic news. So They wanted me to pass on their grateful thanks to you all. And you can still sign up uh, to pray with them, by the way, if you want to 
follow them in their adventures there in South America. So um, we've been going through this mini-series called uh, Generous. Um, in week one, um, Andy asked the question, for where your heart, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Uh, that verse from Matthew and saying what it is essentially that we invest our time, our energy, our money into, that's where um, our hearts are. Uh, then last week, Paul was asking the question, well, why be generous? And uh, the response was at the end of his sermon, because God was first. And if you want to explore uh, those things uh, further, you can go onto our website and uh, listen in to those sermons. And then this week, we're going to be looking at how we use God's money uh, for God's purposes. And maybe you're wondering, well, how on earth are we going to get to that point, having just read this parable together? But that's where we're going to journey uh, together this morning. And then next week, we'll be starting a 10-week series on prayer. And we're also encouraging um, our small groups to look at this whole question about prayer. Uh, we're going to be launching a 24-7 prayer week um, at the end of April as well. So there'll be lots of initiatives around prayer. And what we're using for our sermon series and what we're also encouraging our small groups to look at is this book by Pete Gregg, who started the 24-7 uh, prayer movement. And uh, we have We'll have these available next week uh, for you to buy. Now, you can um, get them cheap um, online, find them online. Uh, but we made a conscious decision uh, to support our local Christian um, bookshop. And they were saying to us, uh, well, we can only sell it to you really at the recommended retail price, uh, which is £14, which is a lot more than what you can get online. But you'll hear as I preached this morning about stewardship and the way we use our money. We felt it was only right as a church that we support this local business rather than going and buying it uh, from a large online organization. So he said, well, well, we'll pay the few pounds extra in order to support the local business. Uh, then they came back to us last week and said, well, the publisher's uh, selling it to us at a discount, so we're able to sell it to you at a discount. So now uh, we're going to be selling it next week um, at £10 a copy, which is £4 off the recommended retail price. Uh, Andy and I have both read this and would highly recommend it, as, uh, as do the rest of our uh, staff team. So do get hold of a copy and uh, read through it as we're going through it together as a church in the coming weeks. So this parable that we're going to look at this morning, there's this rich guy who realizes that his manager or his steward is uh, fiddling the books. He's wasting money. He's doing them out of resources. So he writes up his P45 hands it over and says, oh, by the way, before you leave, get, get an account of uh, where we're up to um, in the finances. And this manager thinks, well, I don't really want a minimum wage job, and I don't want to beg. I know what I'll do. I'll fit all the books before I leave, and then I'll give the owner that report. And then he goes and curries favor with these people that are in debt. And then the owner finds out and says, a bit cheeky, but, you know, fair enough. And then Jesus turns around and says, it's good to use your money like this to influence others in getting friends. Is this really what's happening here? Is this really what's going on? And then in verse 10, he says, whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So which is it, Jesus? Are you saying we be dishonest like this guy? Or are you saying that we have to be trustworthy? Uh, the first time I read it, I was like, I'm confused. I haven't got a clue what's going on here. So, of course, went away and did more reading. I found one commentator that said, 
this passage appears to bring before us a new Jesus, one who seems to incline to compromise with evil. He approves a program of canny self-interest, recommending to his disciples a standard of life which is generally recognized as inferior. I say to you, gain friends by means of money. This is not the worst of it. He bases the teaching on the story of a shrewd scoundrel who feathered his own nest at the expense of a man who had trusted him. And then he appears to say to the disciples, let this be your model. What on earth is going on? The temptation is that we could brush over the hard stuff and just get to the bits that make sense. But that would be a disservice to the text. So I want you to hang on with me in the early part of our sermon as we do some rummaging around um, to figure out what's going on here. And what does it mean to us as Christ followers in Torquay in the year 2020? And by the way, if you're here this morning exploring faith and wondering what this is all about, um, you can relax and listen in. Um, This teaching of Jesus really applies to those who have committed to follow him. But I also want to say to you, if you're listening in this morning, what what is contained within these ancient words are life-giving and will radically transform your relationship with money and wealth. And I want to I illustrate that by sharing a personal testimony this morning. As I was preparing this sermon, it wasn't just the academic, the words, the study that was going on. God, God was doing a heart transplant in my life. Um, earlier on in the week, on Sunday and Monday, we, we took on Andy's challenge to prayerfully review our giving. And we went through, we made some adjustments. I won't say what we've done, but but we made those adjustments. We were faithful to that call on our lives to review our giving and to make some changes. And then on Tuesday onwards, the consulate family had a little mini kind of financial crash, if you, if you like. It was, it was interesting how God, how God works in mysterious ways. First of all, um, we had some unexpected bills come in, things that I had subscribed to last year and didn't realize it was one of those where you have to untick the box, otherwise they'll charge you next year and all that. And, and then after that, uh, we got told, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, your car insurance is up for renewal. Um, then my, um, my pay slip came through, and um, HMRC had given me the wrong tax code and therefore took out double the tax they were supposed to. And, and, the, and the bottom just fell out on our lives financially this week. And I was like, what is going on here? And, uh, and then my heart began to crumble a little bit, and I was thinking, Oh, I'm, I'm starting to panic now. Oh, it's all down to us to sort this out. And, um, and I just heard God saying to me, stop panicking. Trust me. I was like, yeah, I know, I know I'm supposed to trust you, but I need, but, but, and God's like, you do know what you're preaching on on Sunday, don't you? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. But I'm, I'm trying to prepare this sermon, and God was like, I am preparing the sermon. I'm preparing the sermon by working on your heart. Now, I don't want anyone's panic. We managed to sort out the unexpected bills, and I've spoken to HMRC, and every, everything's fine, so don't, don't, please don't be worried. But it was in that moment during the week when I realized, oh, wow, I've, I've actually got to practice, practice what I preach. I can't, I can't stand up here with integrity and preach this without having experienced it for myself. And this morning, I was listening uh, to the words of the song, uh, Good, Good Father, And it says this, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. And you tell me that you're pleased 
and that I'm never alone. You are a good, good father. I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. Only you provide, because you know just what I need before we say a word. You are a good, good father. You're perfect in all of your ways. It is you who are. It is you who are. And I am loved by you. You are perfect in all of your ways. And as, as I was listening to this song, I was just reminded, he knows everything that we need. He loves us so, so much. And I want to say to you, if you find yourself in a financial difficulties, financial uh, struggles, um, I would encourage you to do what I had to do this week and place my trust um, and faith in Jesus Christ. And he will provide the peace. He will provide the way through that difficult storm. But let's, let's go back to the text now before we get on to the application. And let's look at the questions that we need to understand the, the text. First of all, we need to ask the question, is the rich man an honorable man or is he a partner in crime with his manager? Who is, what's going on in this parable? Now, we, know, we need to remember the principles of parables. Uh, we need to stay close to the meaning. We mustn't go so far off the meaning that we lose what Jesus was actually saying. Uh, we also need to see it through the eyes of uh, the listeners. So we're going to have to be good anthropologists this morning and recognize that we live in an innocent guilt culture um, where a lot of the commentators get tied up in this text. And we have to see ourselves in the honor-shame culture uh, through the eyes of a Middle Eastern uh, listening to this text 2,000 years ago. And uh, we can see from the parable before, which is the parable of the uh, prodigal son, and we can see from the parable afterwards, the parable about the rich man and Lazarus, that in both of these parables, uh, there is in the prodigal son, there's the father who is noble and the son who is not. In the parable, you have the rich man who is dishonorable and Lazarus who seems to have eternal life. And it's the same thing here in this story. You have the rich man who is an honorable man, and then you have the servant who is seemingly wasteful and ends up getting fired as a result. So the first point to recognize is that the rich man is an honorable man. The second question we have to ask is, what is the manager's profession? Is he an estate manager or is he an authorized agent for money lending? Now, without knowing what went on in Middle Eastern customs at that time, it, you, we don't know, really know how to answer that question. So I had to do a lot of reading this week and, and go right down into what's called the Mishnah uh, Jewish law, which is uh, the ancient law which dictated what they did in those times. And I discovered that this man was, in fact, most likely an estate manager. So this owner would have owned lots and lots of land, and he would have rented out his fields uh, to different people who were growing crops, farmers, and he was the estate manager. Now, an estate manager would have been a salaried official, so he would have had a wage. And then in addition, he would have been able to arrange a percentage um, of the crops, a fee, if you like, for himself. This was perfectly legal and legitimate. So the third, third question is, what has the manager done in terms of altering the debt? And were his actions dishonorable? We see him altering the debt here. Was this dishonorable or not? And we have to look at, again at the ancient Middle Eastern customs and the Jewish law. The fact was that everything was written down. We can see that in this parable. And according to the Mishnah law, agents may not write contracts or share tenancies or fixed rate tenancies 
except with the knowledge and agreement of both parties. So in other words, the person who was renting the field and the owner would have both had complete knowledge about what was going on. So there was nothing hidden. There was nothing dishonest about that. So whatever was written was public knowledge. Now, there is all sorts of theories um, about what was going on here, but I found the most sound uh, theory was that the manager was removing his payment, his fee, which he was entitled to. That Because the, the payment would have come at the harvest time later on, so the manager was basically saying, look, take this bit off. Um, when it comes to harvest time, I'm not going to receive my fee. And that would have won favor with the people he was talking to. And the owner, who of course we know found out about this because it will all, all have been written down. It w- would have all been agreed upon. The owner praised him uh, for his shrewdness. What he had done was perfectly fair, legal, and legitimate thing to do. It, essentially, he was doing himself out of money to gain favor. Now, all that being said, what the manager was actually doing was good stewardship. Uh, What the manager was doing was shrewd, and that's what Jesus was praising him for. But it's important to note that on the flip side of that coin, we also know that this manager was wasting money, that this manager was clearly dishonest at some point. And what a lot of the commentators are saying was actually what the man did was a redemptive act. He went away, he realized his mistakes, he realized he was going to get fired, So he actually, in some ways, tried to put it right, and that's what he was being praised for. Now, you you might go away and do the reading, come up with a different conclusion. That's perfectly fine. There are are different theories out there, but 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 I don't want us to get confused and think that somehow Jesus is praising the idea of dishonesty or swindling the books or anything like that. Jesus is not doing that here. When we get down into the text and understand what's happening, we realize that this man was performing something of a redemptive act. So, all of us, no doubt, in our lives, um, as I've pointed out, including me, we've not always managed our money well, whether we have a lot or we have a little, but we have a redemption, we have an opportunity of redemption. We've got an opportunity to put it right. And I know that money is a difficult subject to talk about, but we have to acknowledge it. The Bible is full of teaching about money. Money and possessions are the second most referenced topic in the Bible more than 800 times. 11 out of the 39 parables, about a third of them, are all about money and possessions. Uh, The book of Luke leading up to this point is full of of talk about money. Uh, At the dinner, Jesus denounces the greed of the Pharisee. The rich fool fortified his soul. Uh, The prudent steward is praised. The outcasts are called to the great banquet. No one can be Jesus' disciples if they have not been prepared to give it all to him. All the way through the book of Luke leading up to this point, Jesus has been challenging us about money. And the reason for that, as Andy pointed out in week one, is how we use our money, how we steward our money, is a key element of discipleship. So that's, that's something of what's happening in the text. Now we're going to try and look at how it applies to us in 2020. We'll go through the text again and say, well, what bits... Um, apply to us. The first, the first point is this, what not to do with money. This is the first thing that we've got to look at. And then secondly, we've got to ask ourselves what to remember when we are dealing with money, what, the things that we can learn from this passage. So let's first of all look at what we must not do with money. The first thing we must not do is to waste it. That's obvious here in verse 1. 
Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. This is something that Jesus condemns. Uh, we, must not, we must not be wasteful um, about the resources that we have. Secondly, we're not to live for it or love it. Um, the, qu- the quote here in verse 13 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to decide, is Jesus going to be number one in your life? Or is you know, accumulating wealth and accumulating resources going to be number one in your life? Now, hear me, ro- hear me right. I'm not saying it is wrong to accumulate wealth. I'm not saying it's wrong to have money. Um, you know, I just want to repeat that over and over again. But if that is more important in your life than Jesus, then things need, maybe need to be reordered a little bit. So don't hear me wrong. It is good uh, to have people in the kingdom who have wealth and resource that can be distributed um, to those who have less. So the third point is then what not to do with money, and that is don't trust it for security. Verse 16, verse 3, chapter 16, verse 3 says, the manager says to himself, what shall I do now? This came as a surprise to him. He, was, he had put his security in his job. And we mustn't put our trust in something that can be taken away. Otherwise, you'll end up like me in the middle of the week having a little panic because you're thinking, oh, no, everything's, everything's going away and what am I going to do? Whether it's our looks, whether it's our health, whether it's our job, whether it's our bank balance, if we put our trust in those things, we are going to be let down at some point. We want to be really secure. If you want to be really secure, if you want to put your trust in something that can never be taken away, never, ever taken away, the one thing you can never lose is God's love for you. When we put our trust in the one who loves us, that will never, ever be taken away. Proverbs 23, 5 says that your money can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. That's the reality of money. It's a temporary uh, thing that we have. So don't put your trust in it. Fourthly, don't expect it to satisfy. Don't expect money to satisfy. The, more, the reality is that the more you have, the more you want. And uh, they say, don't they, how do you make a man happy? Just, just give him a little bit more. Just give him a little bit more. Just give him a little bit more. It's an endless pit that will never fully satisfy. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says that whoever loves money will never have enough. And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. This is ancient wisdom coming from the text that we can apply to all of us today, can't we? We know if we love money and we put our trust in the wealth, it will never we will never be satisfied. Even later on in the New Testament, in Luke 12, it says this, guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not measured by how much you own. Your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. Let me say again, your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. Your valuables do not determine your value. Do not think, oh, I have a lot, So I'm worth a lot. That's not right. You're worth a lot simply because God has made you, because Jesus died for you, and because the Spirit wants to live in you. That's where we get our worth. That's where we get our satisfaction. So please, friends, let's not put our trust, let's not put our hope in our wealth. 
So those are things that we're not to do with our money. What then do we need to remember when we're dealing with money? First of all, we need to recognize that it all belongs to God. It says here, in, again in 16.1, that the rich man, um, this was his possessions. We are only the manager. We're only the steward of what God has given to us. The whole universe belongs to God. We don't own anything. It wasn't ours before we were born, and it won't be ours after we die. In this story, the rich man um, enlisted the manager to take care of his property. And we're all of us, we're all in management, we're all in stewardship. And if you look at life this way, if you change your perspective, it reduces worry, it reduces anxiety. When we realize that all of it, or everything we have belongs to God, we, we begin to feel less anxious and worried about where money is going to be coming from next. So how well are we taking care of God's property, our body, our time, opportunities, our minds, our talents? This guy was wasting money. What are we finding ourselves wasting today? Let's look at the second point. God is using money to test me. He's testing all kinds of things in our lives. But his favorite and his most common thing he uses to test us is our finances. God says, before I give you spiritual power, before I'm going to, I'm going to test you with material possessions. And if we're not managing our money well, why would I give you the stuff that really matters? You can see that here um, in the text. And this, again, is what Andy was preaching on in week one. Um, money shows what I love most. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Instead, store up treasures in heaven. For, what, for wherever your treasure is, that, that's where your heart will be. That's, that's where the things that, we, wherever we put our investment of time, our investment of money, that's where our heart will be. It also shows what we trust most. Again, this verse from Proverbs, if you trust your money, you will fall. But if you trust in God, you will flourish like a green tree. I think we're seeing a repetitive theme here, aren't we? Right the way throughout the scriptures. When we put our trust in God, uh, we will flourish. When we put our trust in money, we will fall. And then lastly, money shows if God can trust me. Unmanaged finances are a symptom of an unmanaged life. What do we need in that moment? We need a manager in our lives. We need a Lord and we need a saviour. And Luke, and here in, in the passage in Luke 16, verse 10, it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And that is one of the most important verses in the Bible. If we can be trusted with very little, we will be trusted with very much. The rich person is saying, manage it. Imagine a rich person saying to you, imagine your, um, your, your father, let's say your father is a multi-billionaire, and he says, right, I'm going to give you a £10,000 um, advance, and I want you to manage this well. And if you manage this well, I'm going to give you the whole lot. You're going to inherit the whole lot. And that's, that's what we've got to remember about our Heavenly Father. He has, he has everything. He has everything we could ever uh, need. I'm not going to say he has everything we ever want because there's a difference between need and want. God, God can provide for us 
when we, put, when we manage what we have well. And it's not always going to come in terms of monetary uh, security. Sometimes he takes away that security like he did for me this week. And he's saying to me, are you willing to trust me? And then as, as we trust him, he provides us with the peace uh, that we need. So Jesus says, how I handle money determines how much God can bless my life. And I'm not saying this. This is Jesus saying this. I, I feel uncomfortable stood up here saying this. But this is Jesus who says this, that when we manage our resources of our time, of our money, of our energy well, that God will bless us. There is a direct correlation here between maturity and money. And hear me again, I'm not saying that if you're rich, somehow that means equals that, oh, somehow I'm blessed. Likewise, I'm not saying that if you're poor, if you're struggling, that means you're foolish or um, somehow that you're not following God correctly. That would be a gross misunderstanding. What I'm saying to you is how are we stewarding what we have, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little. Um, we, we know from the scriptures that the, the widow came forward with her mites, with her tiny little offering to give to God. And Jesus praised that. So it's not about whether you have a lot or a little. It's just about saying what you do have, how are we managing it? Now, again, I told you this was uncomfortable stuff, but we're working our way through, okay? Money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. We see that in uh, 16 verse 9. It says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. And, and we've got to remember, I hear people misquote the Bible so often. They say that money is the root of all evil, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. So the Bible says, love, love people and use money. I'm going to repeat that, okay? Love people, use money. Because the danger is if we get that the wrong way around and we start loving money, then we begin to use people. And that's not what the Bible wants us to do. The Bible says, love people, use money. And the manager did do some things right here. Um, he did look ahead in verse 3. He said, what am I going to do now? In, in, again, in Proverbs. Proverbs is full of wisdom. If you want to get wisdom, read the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs says, the wise man looks ahead and the fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. This is a really good principle that the wise man did. He looked ahead and he saw what was coming. And if, and if any of you really struggle with managing your budgets, really struggle with managing your finances, really struggle to look ahead, there are people in this church um, who would be who would be delighted to sit down with you um, and help you with that. Um, if that's something you're struggling with, just get in touch with me. Send an email into the office, and I'll put you in touch with someone who can help you with that. Secondly, he made a plan. Um, verse 4, he made a plan. He decided, right, I'm going to go out. I'm going to reduce the debts. Um, I'm going to get the favor that I need. And uh, again, in Proverbs, you should make plans, counting on God to direct us. So do, we, do you have a budget? Do you have a plan for your spending? Uh, simply all a budget is, is telling your money where you want it to go, rather than wondering where it went. That's why we need, that's why we need a budget. And then thirdly, he acted quickly, verses 5 and 6. He didn't hang around, he got straight into action. So this morning I want to say to you, if, you're, if you need help, Please reach out and we will be delighted to help you um, in this area of your lives. So number four, the best use of money 
is to get people to heaven. That's what Jesus is saying here. And, and hear me right again. I'm not saying you can buy your way into heaven. Jesus has already paid that price. No matter how much you give, uh, Jesus has paid the price. Your place in eternity is secure because of Jesus. Um, it's, and it's a free gift. Um, we don't have to pay for it. But we can use our money and we can use our influence to help people. We have um, an alpha course that runs at church that people have invested um, time and money into. We have um, all sorts of initiatives going on around and about us that is helping people to come into the kingdom of God. And we can use joyfully what we have to help those things happen. So number five, lastly, one day we will all give an account to God. Uh, we see it here in verse two. The, man, the manager says, give me an account um, of what you've been up to. All of us will reach a stage in our lives when life will end and we'll be asked to give an account. Romans 14, 12 says that, yes, each one of us will give a personal account to God. And again, I want to go back to what I said at the beginning. Jesus praised this man because he realized he had been dishonest. He realized he had messed up. He realized he was going to have to face the consequences. He was getting fired. But this man tried to fix that. He tried to repair that. And Jesus praised him for his shrewdness. He praised him for his stewardship. And in a, in a, in a few short moments, we're going to be coming to this communion table where we have an opportunity for response. And as we come to that communion table, I want us to be asking ourselves the question, where does your heart lie when it comes to money? Where does your heart lie when it comes to money? Do, are you trusting in it? Are you looking for it to give satisfaction? Or are you putting your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ? What worries, burdens, anxieties do you have around this subject? Maybe some of you feel like I felt during the middle of the week when you think the wheels are falling off and you just think there's no hope whatsoever going forward. Maybe some of you find yourselves in crippling debt. But I want to encourage you as we come to the communion table this morning, bring it to Jesus. Bring those feelings of anxiety and worry. Bring those debts. Bring all that, um, those concerns to the communion table now. And as you receive the gift that Jesus has given to us, he will begin to minister to you. I want to read uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Jesus gave up everything for a life of simplicity to come and be a human amongst us. And he's not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done. I've used this quote before, but Jesus has given up heaven for earth. And now he's asking you to give up earth for heaven. Jesus loves you. And the question this morning is, do we trust him? Can we say those words from the song, Good, Good Father? I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you're telling me that you're pleased 
and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. Let's pray. Lord, I recognize that money is a really challenging subject for us to talk about this morning. And yet, as we read your word, we see the subject of money coming up over and over and over again. And Lord, we recognize that each and every one of us need your guidance on this. We need to let go of our of our worries, of our anxieties around money. And we need to invite you in, into the midst of that worry and anxiety and ask that you would help us to trust you. I want to pray especially for anyone this morning who is struggling in this area. And I want to pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would pour out your peace upon them. I pray that they, just like the shrewd manager, they would act quickly that they would make a plan, that they would get the help that they need. And I thank you, Lord, for this, for those who are in this church who are great examples of good stewards. I thank you that we have people in our congregation who can help and serve those who are struggling in this area. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn from one another, but to never lose sight of the fact that you are a good, good father. And that you came from heaven to earth and gave yourself up so that we might live. And we thank you that we get to celebrate that this morning as we break bread and drink this wine and remember what you've done for us. So bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.